welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeru. Hey guys, hope you're all doing very well this week. So I was going to come to you today with Chris from IntelliCare and talk all about that huge raise that they have done in the nursing technology world. However, what I have done is got in touch with my friend Sam Shah, and that's because of the Black Lives Matter movement. So Sam was voted the fourth most influential BAME leader in health tech or digital health by the Financial Times. And I've known Sam for quite a long time. He's very outspoken on issues about race in healthcare and obviously having a foot in the technology world too. So here is my discussion with Sam Shah all about the Black Lives Matter movement and being black, Asian and minority ethnic in healthcare. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation and have a good old reflection on it. So Sam, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning, mate? I'm great, thanks, James. And uh, thanks for having me today. It's uh, really good to join you and have a discussion. You're very welcome, sir. And obviously, this comes at a time where... Well, I basically texted you, didn't I, uh, uh, like a few days ago, because I'd been... I'd basically been challenged by one of my listeners, and I think rightly so, that me being mixed race and having a platform with this podcast, that potentially I should be doing something to speak out on everything that's happened with George Floyd and and you know the the Black Lives Matter movement and things like that. And it's always been, you know, just as we were talking about off air, you know, it's been a a bit of an uncomfortable um, time for me, I guess, because being mixed race, I feel so much of what's going on and. I look pretty white, so I get all the privilege or most of. I've had a couple of incidents in my life, but you know, I get most of that privilege. And so it's been a really it's been a strange time for me growing up and learning about all this stuff and feeling a lot of it. And yeah, I basically got that challenge from one of the listeners and I thought, you know, what better way than for me to just have a conversation with somebody like yourself who's been very, very outspoken on this stuff and rightly so with um, race and the NHS and healthcare and health tech and everything like that. And obviously you being voted, what was it, the fourth most eminent BAME leader in health tech last year and all the rest of it, you know, what better person to come on and talk about this stuff with. So I think it'd be great for for our listeners if you could just go into your background a little bit and tell us um, a bit about you and, and what you do in your professional life. And then, yeah, we can kick off and have a chat about Black Lives Mattering. I think it's really important to say that this really is uncharted. What's happening right now is a combination of different events and circumstances that have given a group of people a platform to be heard. And I think it's really hard for a lot of people who exist, certainly in the system in the UK and the US uh, and other parts of the world, where they're experiencing issues relating to race, identity, discrimination, and all those things that matter to most civilized societies. And it's particularly hard where people are struggling with what their identity may or may not be right now and where they fit in, because there are so many different dimensions to this topic area, everything from privilege, deprivation, culture, society, and politics mixed in all of this and it and it's it's quite hard for so many people who might be younger and trying to work out what they do about it how they participate how they don't participate mm-hmm. um and and for some people there'll be that sense of sort of burden and guilt and at the same time for others there'll be this 
real drive to try and make a real difference right mm. now um, to do something about the issue. So I, I'm really pleased that we can have a chat about this and I'm sure there's lots that we both have, have experienced in our lives and we can reflect on. Maybe I'll tell you a little bit about me and where I came from and where I've got to. So I, I grew up in um, originally in West London, lived in Africa for a little while and then spent most of my life in London before I trained clinically and, uh, and then went to work in clinical practice and then sort of diversified into public health and then into law. And then after that, I really sort of mixed my career and had that typical portfolio career between clinical practice, clinical leadership and management in the, in the NHS predominantly, and then a lot of work in digital health. Um, but all of that time, I've continued to work in um, law and ethics and supporting lots of people out there that are struggling with issues in the workplace uh, and especially junior doctors, dentists who are trying to deal with issues that they might face at work, some of which happen to relate to discrimination. Um, and there have been a few points in my life where things have really stood out for me. Uh, and one was when I was training in law, where I was working uh, on a free representation case. Uh, and it happened to be a doctor. And this doctor had suffered what I can only describe as the worst discrimination I had ever come across. Mm. Um, and uh, this lady wasn't uh, black or Asian. She was, she was from a minority ethnic group at that time, which happened to be an Eastern European community. She was from Poland. Um, and uh, she was a very good doctor, but she was the only minority uh, in her organization at that time. And it certainly showed amongst the clinical community what can happen. And, and even amongst doctors and surgeons and others, these things also happen. So that case really drove for me one of those things that, are, that has stood with me ever since, really. And that's been that this happens in all parts of society. And in some parts of society, it's, it's clearly even worse. And then we get into that topic of privilege, because some might say, well, clinicians, doctors, surgeons, others, actually, you might already be from a privileged group. Equally, others might say that the, the colour of our skin, our race, our background in itself may be one of those drivers that leads to discrimination and changes that position of privilege. And, and it is, it, I don't think it's gone away at all. And I think whether people discuss it in those forms that refer to sort of bias and unconscious bias, or whether they're discussing outward discrimination or racism, I think it does exist in all walks of society. And that's one of those things that stood with me ever since dealing with that case, which reminds me that these things happen in every part of society. Mm. And so since seeing that case then, it seems to be that that was a, a point in your life that, that opened the door on this stuff for you. Once that door was put slightly ajar, was that something that you, that was that then, you know, opening Pandora's box and, and, you know, you seeing a lot more of this stuff and getting involved in more of this stuff. Is that how it kind of led to you being more outspoken on this? I'd certainly say there's been different points in my life where I've either been more or less outspoken about it. And I think I struggled a lot more when I was in training. So when I was uh, yeah. training grade and uh, in my registrar years, those years, I certainly had to toe the party line a bit more. Um, it, it was those quiet corridor discussions from deans and associate deans and heads of school, which were all very much about 
uh, keep keeping your head down and getting on with things and not stirring things up too much and raising issues. And people didn't want to know about the issues. So they came to a point where I did have to quieten down about them. And if I reflect back, I, I do ask myself whether that was the right thing or not, mm. um, because you do see issues uh, all around you in the workplace. I remember working in one department where it was very clear that different people were were being treated differently because of the colour of their skin. And it was becoming obvious. Now, it may not be intentional, but it was happening. That was the outcome that, were, that was resulting in that department. And so over the years, I mean, different points were turning more or less vocal about this issue. But something that did really get me started last year was around the time when NHSX was created. And some people will know because I was quite public about it, were indeed, where yeah. there was a picture. Yeah, there was a picture of yeah. the senior team of what was then NHSX when it started. And um, unfortunately, that picture was not very diverse. Now, it was just a picture. It doesn't necessarily represent the, the cultures or values of the organisation, but it was a picture. And it's a picture that showed a very homogenous looking group of people uh, that were ultimately the, the arbiters of everything that's digital health related. And it didn't really represent society or the rest of the NHS. And at a time when there's been lots of discussion and talk about race, about equality, about diversity, about inclusivity in decision-making, it was disappointing to me that that was the image that was portrayed out there uh, of the organisation that was taking the lead on the sort of most novel area of yeah. healthcare and, and one that would have an influence across the system. So that was certainly a trigger point. And thereafter, there are other things that happened, things that happened to me, things that happened to my team members. And, and if I think about my own team members, there was a situation where a, a team member, uh, happens to be a, a non-white non -white team member at the time, was being um, referred to in a meeting by somebody else's name altogether. And when the person that was doing that was asked why, they said, oh, well, you, you, you look similar, so um, I, I called you by the other person's name. Wow. And, and it was a really interesting issue for me because as a manager, I had never been faced with that situation before. But the fact that two people were of similar ethnicities, similar, not the same in this case, but we referred to by the same name because of that similarity, for me, there was an issue there in the organisation, in the NHS, in the culture of the NHS, that was yet to be resolved. And it was very hard to deal with that. And that team member felt very troubled by this. I felt very troubled by this. Hmm. At other situations where team members working in that digital health environment were struggling in the workplace because they were being spoken to in a certain way. And I remember one meeting I went to, it was quite a public meeting, where a very senior leader was quite aggressive towards one team member. And it, and it seemed completely uncalled for. And I left myself asking then, why? Was it because of the colour of their skin? And I was struggling to tell myself that it wasn't. Because mm. when I saw how that individual interacted with everyone else, it was fairly obvious to me and to others around that there was a difference. Now, again, it may not have been intentional, but it was fairly public. And things like this weren't uncommon. I remember going to a meeting as a director and being the only director that was uh, um, asked to leave the room because I didn't have an agenda item. 
nobody else was. But I also happened to be the only person that was a ethnic minority. And, and these sorts of things happen. So these are some of the reasons that I've become more and more vocal about the issues, because there aren't that many senior leaders in the NHS that can openly speak out about the issues they face. Yeah. This happens every day in the NHS, like it does in every organization. But in a public service organization, that's there to meet the needs of the population and to meet the needs of everyone. We can't have a system that ingrained in it, entrenched in it, are some cultural race issues that aren't being dealt with. Yeah, and I mean, so many, so many things here that 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 I'd like to ask about. I and mean, the first, the first one's obviously what you talked about with the NHSX photo, and you know, you mentioned it was disappointing, and and. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I agree, and the word disappointing is an interesting one. I I would almost say it was deflating when I saw it because it was like, uh, like as you say, it's meant to be the innovative part. And on this podcast, I've spoken very well about what NHSX have been doing and all the good work they're doing and all the rest of it. And it's worth saying as well at the time, you know, they did come out and and admitted their mistake and and all the rest of it. Whether or not they called it a mistake, I can't remember, but you know, there'll be words to that effect. But I think, you know, it's an interesting point there about non-racist versus anti-racist and is this institutionalized is this just in the fabric of society and i think that's what that brought out is that you know you and i both know lots of those individuals that are not going to be you know (laughs) down in the pub like inciting race hate like far from it but actually it, it opens those questions, doesn't it? For people, you'd expect them to reflect and go, you know, why have we got to this point? What are the systems in place? Is everyone getting a quality of opportunity? Are we non-racist? Are we actually anti-racist? Because if we're going to apply the correct counterbalance here, we need to be anti-racist to get to a society that is equal. And I think, you know, those those are all of my thoughts. And as I say, to be fair, you know, looking back, you know, they did they did come out and say um, say that. That they admitted, you know, this isn't what we want to be doing and, and all the rest of it. So, but yeah, no, that's the first thing that I wanted to, to, to bring up, you know. And I think that's quite right in that there, there was acknowledgement that there was an issue. And, and I think it's fair to say it probably wasn't a mistake as such in that it was just circumstance that just happened. Correct. That was a group of people that came together. And it's an organisation where there's lots of well-meaning people who want to do the right thing. And Correct. People that I know well. And what's important is what then happens, what action gets taken that makes a difference in the system. Because as you say, there's the, there's the non-racist approach, the anti-racist approach, and that one that then seeks equality and inclusivity. Mm. And, and in all of this discussion, I think there's something that's very important about equity in society beyond equality, but the fairness. But there's also the issue, the dimension of inclusivity. So I think it's really important. The first thing is that we should be seeking fairness in society. Uh, and that's hard because society has never been fair. You know, if, we, if we go back through history, there has never been fairness, but we should be aiming for that, even if it's uh, an ideology. But alongside that, it's inclusivity. And for me, it comes back to inclusivity and decision-making. Because if we have inclusivity and in decision-making, even if we don't end up with uh, a balance in senior leadership. If we have inclusivity in decision making, with the most diverse group involved in decision making, at every level in public sector, in society, you're more likely to achieve better outcomes. But to get that inclusivity, I do think we need not only a non-racist approach, 
but we do also need the anti-racist approach. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that organizations might by their very nature be institutionally racist or anything. That's not to say that at all. But it's often that they, they don't know what they don't know. And, and this might be quite hard, but I, you know, I'd certainly argue that if you as an individual have not necessarily experienced a certain type of racism or discrimination, then it can often be quite difficult to make all of those changes, even if you you support those changes and believe in it, if you haven't experienced it, it can be much harder to mm. be able to change the, the cultural environment. Now, everyone has probably experienced some form of discrimination in their lives at some point. I'm sure whether that's gender, race, uh, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's some other characteristic, whether it's some other factor in your life, I'm sure it's happened to everyone at some point, even the age. But when it comes to these issues of race in particular, and particularly around those people that might be from um, backgrounds such as them being black or something, uh, it's often a lot harder. And we have to recognize that even within ethnic minority communities, actually for some people, it's much worse than it is for others. And this is where we get into that dimension of, you know, who suffers the worst inequalities. Yeah. And there is a correlation there and one that we we can't really dismiss. And it's not just related to race or skin colour. There are, of course, underlying factors such as deprivation. But it is that situation of, well, are both of them intrinsically linked? Are they so intrinsically linked that we are using one as a proxy for the other? But actually, they've got such a strong association that we can't separate them out entirely. Yeah. And I guess, you know, this brings me on to kind of what now? And I think there's, there's so many uncomfortable realities for people, as you say, that might not have ever experienced, you know, a, a true racist act, but they might have a visceral reaction if they see a group of black people or a black person comes to interview and they act differently and they, that might be completely subconscious. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of uncomfortable truths in there that people have to kind of ask themselves and dig deep. And I think it's funny, you know, so many people that I have asked, you know, do you act differently? Do you think you act differently in these, in these different situations, a group of these people, a group of these people, someone comes to interview, like all the rest of it, people will always say no, but then you only have to, you have to point to their track record and then it's like, Oh, actually, yeah, maybe you're right. And then there's this un uncomfortable friction between them that they have to, they have to either accept it and reflect and, and go deep and inside themselves to understand that, or they just immediately reject and they just take the, Oh, I'm, I've not ever done anything racist, so I'm fine. And it's, it's, it's such a tough reality. So I guess in terms of, you know, solutions and, you know, how to make this better obviously you've got an interesting vantage point from medicine clinically medicine managerially and then obviously you've got a foot in the foot in the digital health and health tech world as well i mean taking any or all of those what do you think are the things that people can ask themselves what do you think are the potential solutions for what we've got going on at the moment i mean yeah how do you feel about that stuff the first thing is, is that if we ask anyone a question in society, it's very rare that we're probably going to get the individual's raw thoughts. As human beings, we're almost geared up to give socially desirable responses to yeah. one another. It, it's it's sort of part of our psyche, right? So, and especially as groups come together, that's more likely to happen 
Uh, and I'm not saying it always happens, but it certainly is likely to happen. So there is a role here of using uh, a whole range of techniques. And the first is, is getting to the point where we allow people to be comfortable with accepting that there's an issue, uh, where people don't feel that they're going to be chastised if they recognize there's an issue and they want to do something about it. Because that's probably the hardest part, getting that degree of um, acknowledgement and acceptance that there is some sort of problem or even if they don't think it's a problem, at least an issue that they want to discuss and air. Yeah. The, and the next area is in the same way that we've made clinical safety everyone's problem, that we've had an approach to risk management that's everyone's issue out there in healthcare. We almost need to make this something that is so commonly known about and discussed that in the same way it becomes something that people want to deal with and that are not shy and scared of talking about. And so I don't get comfortable with the terminology and, and even for me, as someone who is from an ethnic minority background, even I sometimes struggle with the right terminology. The other day, there's a whole discussion with somebody over who used the term BME or BAME, mm-hmm. um, who is privileged and who isn't. Uh, as someone who comes from an Asian background, actually, can I really ever say that I, I, I haven't had privilege compared to other people? I probably have. And from a professional background, we probably have those privileges. So the first thing I think is just getting people aware of what different issues are, what the terminology is, how we make them comfortable about some of that terminology and how they use it. The issues that face people in the workplace and whether they and how they feel about them, whether they can feel and can openly discuss them. Because I don't necessarily think that a senior group of executives inviting other others into a discussion uh, on, on kind of a one-off basis necessarily is going to solve the problem. So it has to be something that's more strategic, that's more programmatic than a one-off set of actions. Mm. And right now, as a result of what's happening globally uh, and that people are working in a different way, there's a risk that we react to everything. As a society, we've recently, because of COVID, we've got used to reacting got used to dealing with something right now because it's a problem and it's possible that the entire movement of Black Lives Matters has generated a reaction but what we need to work at is how we make that sustainable and how we make the action more sustainable and there is a space here for digital health and not because everything should be digitized but there are a few things from digital health and technology that will probably help us going forward. The first is probably data it's easier for individuals to at least be more open uh, or at least even declare their own preferences, choices in a digital space. Uh, And that might just be one way of getting data about users, about workforce, about the ways in which people interact that we may not otherwise pick up, we may not be willing to pick up. And that could just be one thing that we use technology for. The other thing that we do have to work towards is ensuring that when we build and design technology programs, when we build and design technology and we think about its implementation, we do it with the mindset of reducing inequalities and improving equity of access to health services. Now that does mean we have to confront the difficult topic that there are some people who are suffering not because of any other factor than their characteristics, and we have to deal with that. And that could be another, there could be another space there where we use technology to identify that and almost design technology to cater for those groups more so than others and try and work with those groups 
whoever they might be, and not just work with them, but almost hand over the responsibility, bring them into that decision making. And then there's something that we have to do much longer term, and that is use different ways of picking up and identifying issues. Now, technology is not going to be the, the solution to this. It's a cultural one, but it could be an adjunct. It could be a way of picking up that sentiment, the, the, the underlying characteristics of a discussion, of, a, of an image that helps people think and become more cognizant of the fact that there's something that they may need to deal with. Now, of course, who knows, in 100 years' time, this conversation may not even uh, need to happen anymore because society has become so mixed that this is no longer an issue that anyone faces. Yeah. But I suspect if the last 2,000 plus years of history are anything to go by, it probably still will be an issue in 100 years and probably more than 100 years. Uh, and for that reason, as technology advances, it's all of our responsibility to make sure that when we build that technology, we, we, we design it with a way that is designed around reducing inequalities and improving access to services and improving the lives of those people that do matter and everyone matters, but particularly those people that are suffering most harms in society. I completely agree, man. And one thing that I'd, I'd also like to ask you about is a lot of what you talked about there is is addressing that kind of subconscious bias potentially, or you know, in some cases conscious, but more of a systems view. There's obviously a more serious version here. I'm just literally looking on my, on my laptop now. There's a there was an article in the Independent in February, 17th of February, that did some. You know, they they did some polling in in the NHS, and almost a third. I'm reading verbatim here. Almost a third of black and minority ethnic staff in the health service have been bullied, harassed, or abused by their own colleague colleagues in the past year, according to shameful new data. So obviously, there's also a real individual issue here, and you know, real problems that individuals are facing. And you mentioned it. Um, when we started this discussion, you know, those, those times where you've observed bullying and, and harassment and abuse and all those things for those people. And I guess I'm addressing your background in law here, potentially. I mean, what, what, what should those people be doing, you know, when, when they are getting that harassment, abuse, bullying, and uh, I guess is, is there a combined approach that we can be implementing to help those people as well as that kind of more unconscious and systems level? Definitely. And this is the really difficult topic that nobody probably wants to confront, but does exist. It's hard for me to even read that out, dude, honestly, like (laughs) honestly for me to read that as a mixed race person that hasn't had abuse in the system and that I don't even, you know, I don't understand what that, that even must be like just because of someone rolled the dice and I came out looking more white than I did black. You know, it's, yeah, it is uncomfortable. And, and hopefully by us even discussing it, at least it raises the topic area amongst people that may not have thought about it. And not because they didn't want to, simply because they've never been exposed themselves to it. So they didn't know what, to what extent it was an issue. But that individual piece is something that I think everyone struggles with. It's that balance between the person themselves doing something about it and potentially facing more aggression, more discrimination, and yeah. feeling that they've got nowhere to turn yeah. to in a system that's not really designed to help them. And then we've got those other people that might see the issues, that may witness it, 
they're also worried about what they do about it. Yeah. And, and for this, there has to be a new approach because what I tend to find, the NHS, and if we focus on the NHS as a workplace for the moment, almost operates as a single employer. And, and it's not a single employer. It's made up of lots of separate employers, but it almost operates as if it is one. So if somebody is singled out uh, and something happens in one organization, thereafter, when they whistleblow or raise the issue of race discrimination or something similar, they almost get labeled thereafter and find it very mm. difficult because even though it's unsaid, information flows between NHS organizations. I've seen it myself. I've had a phone call about uh, a member of staff that I'd be likely to recruit or employ and their previous manager gives me a call and says, oh, can I have an informal chat about it? And this sort of thing happens. So it's a very difficult situation for those individuals going through it because they might suffer discrimination in the workplace and they might be thinking they'll move on and go somewhere else and they'll try and move on and go somewhere else. But what then happens is the problem then uh, follows them, as it were, and, and they then get labelled as the issue. And I think that's very, very unfair but also i think the system as it exists can't simply carry on with the architecture it currently has there has to be a separate outlet and, and for me there has to be some other channel that individuals can go to specific to the nhs that has got such a diverse workforce where they can seek advice almost seek that form of soft mediation and try and come to a resolution because i'm sure it's also equally scary for the person on the other side where if the issue is raised, they're automatically thinking, how far is this going to go? Is this mm. going to turn into an employment tribunal uh, around race discrimination? And I can see from all parties involved in these individual level disputes that people are worried. So I do feel there has to be something that almost independently can mediate in a safe space between yeah. the different individuals involved to try and come up with some sort of solutions. In some case, that solution is going to be that whoever the aggressor is, is going to have to be removed from the, from, from the situation, from, from being there. But equally, there'll be other, other times where through communication, through some support, through other ways of supporting the individual's concern, it might be possible to change their views or at least change what happens in the workplace and the way people feel and are treated. And, and often I'd like to think that it's not intentional. But there will be occasions that, and there will be rare occasions where it does happen. And those individuals who are affected will feel that they've got nowhere to turn to and no one to go to. And, and that is what we have to stop. We have to give people an outlet that is a fair outlet and is a place that can help them and support them. But that requires investment. And that requires us to do more than lip service at the centre. It means that the centre of the NHS and Department of Health and others have to do more than simply say this is a difficult thing and seem outraged and actually put investment into resources at an organizational level that gives people an outlet to deal with this and that's everything from having the sort of equality and diversity officers but also resources for them to actually be able to do their job and exercise and at that individual level who is it that that person can go and talk to that is independent to give them that view that is a funded resource that will help them do their job. Because ultimately, if we can support the individuals working in our organizations and make their lives better, ultimately they will help our patients to, and they will deliver better outcomes. But we do have to do something at individual level. 
because it happens every day. And I get contacted by people all over the place uh, who are suffering situations in the workplace. And it is surprising uh, that when I've sat in um, very complex but difficult grievance type scenarios or tribunal type settings, um, that sometimes there'll be outright denial of there being an issue. And you can always see that had this been at least acknowledged much earlier on, it would have never got this bad. Mm. And I think you're right. It's that outright denial that we need to stop by creating that safe space to have the conversation. And I know that we're not going to solve this on here and come up with the the idea that's going to that's going to change it all. But I do agree with what you've talked about there about showing empathy to both sides in the right place and in the right doses. Obviously, not where there's been you know direct abuse and all the rest of it, but. I think that safe space is extremely important so that the conversation can be had on both sides. And as you've mentioned, even a correctional element in there that people know that that is an option because a lot of it is subconscious and unconscious and, you know, non rather than anti and all the rest of it. So I think there is, um, there, there is definitely a, a beginning to the conversation that starts with empathy in that safe space. And even look at this independent article, dude, you know, there's, they talk about showy but pointless interventions, which you talked about when you said lip service. And I think that is such an important point. And I think it is a fortunate time that we're in right now with all the terrible things that have happened that I think a lot of these things are on the table to be discussed. And the conversation is opened with many different sides of this. And I think it would be amiss to uh, allow this time and opportunity to go past us without having these conversations and putting, as you quite rightly say, systems in place to find this, systems in place to correct this and to allow all of those things to happen. It's not about necessarily pointing the finger and you know coming down onto people in, in harsh ways or anything like that. And whilst there is a place for that at the worst end, as you've, yeah, as I say, eloquently put it, I think this is a time for, for more empathy and actually understanding and putting systems in place that can correct this stuff. Um, but yeah, any, any final thoughts on that, dude? Well, I don't think that we're probably going to solve this in in the next <laughs> few years, let alone the next hundred years. And yeah. I think whatever happens, society exists, there will always be a dimension of this. But I think one thing that we can do is for health systems, we can use different ways of trying to tackle this and recognize it's difficult for everyone involved, uh, whoever they happen to be, whether they're patients, whether they're clinicians, healthcare workers, anyone in the workforce. It will be difficult for those people who might be black, Asian, or from another ethnic minority background. Um, And it will also be difficult for those people who aren't, because just even having a conversation makes people uncomfortable. So my real reflection on our discussion and things I think going forward would really be about just giving, a people, giving people an opportunity to talk about these things and start helping those that may want to get more involved an opportunity to do so and really drive towards creating that safe space that gives people an outlet and starts tackling individual level discrimination and gives people the help and support they need to make a difference so they can become continue being an active and considered member of the workforce. 
And I completely agree, dude. And it's been a great, great chat. And I've, I've loved having you on. And, and I thank the listener that, that sparked this. Um, so thank you for that. So Sam, yeah, as I say, the, the way that we normally end these podcasts is um, we get you to uh, summarize a bit about yourself and yeah, your background and any asks that you've got of our audience. But I think, I think most of that's been covered. But if you want to summarize that to, to close us out, um, that would be very kind, my friend. Well, I have enjoyed every moment of our discussion and uh, it's it was a difficult topic, but one that I'm very passionate about. And what I would say to all of your listeners is just every now and again, when you're in a meeting, when you're having a call, when you're putting a panel together, just look around and just ask yourself the question, can you do anything else to make this setting more inclusive? Is there anyone else you can invite in consciously to just change the discussion that will take place and the perspective that you're going to gain. And that's the one ask I'd have everyone out there, that each time there's a, there's a meeting, there's a panel, there's a discussion, just work out if there's any way of making it more diverse and more inclusive. Um, and from my point of view, uh, feel free to keep reaching out, send me your stories. And uh, if anyone ever wants any, any help, um, I'm always happy to help people in these situations. So uh, thank you very much. You're very welcome, sir. And um, you will have inspired a lot of people on the podcast today. So if they do want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? The easiest thing to do is send me a message on LinkedIn or a direct message on Twitter. And that's the easiest way of getting hold of me. Perfect. Thank you, Sam. And I'm sure we'll speak soon, buddy. Take care. Have a great day. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.